den Richtlinien so vorgenommen worden sind, wie wir das für richtig halten. Das heißt... Hey, Billy, why do you look so down? Aw, oh, Dad, I got a computer, a PlayStation, and a barn full of iguanas, and I'm still bored. <sighs> Gee, Billy, when I was your age, I would read lots of stories in pulp magazines. Oh, with stories of weird adventure and fantasy, horror, satire, and lots of action. Wow, that sounds great, Dad. Yeah, I sure wish there was something like that right now. <laughs> there is Daddy-O! Who are you? I'm Dr. Mary Von Roxbrocket, host of the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour, and now there's... Yeah? Twisted Pulp Magazine! <laughs> What's that, Doctor? Why, it is a return to greatness! Available on all your digital devices! That is what it is! Look! Exciting and, dare I say it, very unwholesome. You definitely have that right, my good man. <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Mary. My pleasure, Billy. And just between you and me, I am not sure that this man is really your father. Bye. Dad? Uh, just read your Twisted Pulp magazine, Billy. Twisted Pulp magazine, available in dark alleyways behind meth labs everywhere, or at amazon.com or archaicmedia.info. That is A-R-C-H-A-I-C-M-E-D-I-A dot info. <laughs> the Writing on the Wall by Holly Cornetto. Read by Wesley Critchfield. We moved into the house few days after Ruth died. When I asked him how she died, he got angry, and I got a black eye. Ruth used to sit me on her lap and braid my hair. She told me she was like me once, a little girl with family and parents of her own. She'd met him after her parents died. He told her it was all part of God's plan. There had been tears in her eyes as she pressed her face against my hair and whispered over and over again, I'm so sorry, Maddie. I'm so sorry. The day after Ruth died, he read to me from the Bible. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now she's gone, and he says that I'll be his helpmeet. The house we live in now is his. I saw it from the car when he brought me here. From the outside, it looks abandoned. 
There are green stains on the outer walls, and the windows are all boarded up. The roof slumps, depressed. The Kentucky farmhouse belonged to his parents a long time ago, but they are dead now. It doesn't matter, he says, because God is his real father, not that alcoholic bastard who used to yell and beat him. I'm not so sure, though. My bruises tell me the apple didn't fall far from the tree. I haven't been allowed to go outside. No one understands our work, he said. It's God's work, beyond the comprehension of man. We can't risk letting the ignorant see us. By us, he must mean me, because he goes out whenever he wants. He gave me my own room in the basement, and all the old books and magazines in the house. He told me to study the Bible and the cookbooks. I'll be taking over the cooking and housework soon, now that Ruth is gone. The basement is large, with a Kenmore washing machine near the bottom of the stairs. Three of the walls are concrete blocks, damp with condensation. The remaining wall is covered with sheetrock that was probably once white, but has turned lifeless gray with spots of black mold in the corner. The mold starts on the ceiling and creeps down the wall in patterns, like diseased veins. He told me the house is on a farm so I have to do farm work to earn my keep. I'd be happy to tend animals or plants, anything to get out of the basement. There's an odor down here, musty and old. It smells like a forgotten place, and it seems appropriate that this would be my room. It's been seven years since he and Ruth took me, and I don't know if my parents are still looking for me. A forgotten girl in a forgotten place. The condensation from the exposed pipes in the ceiling makes a drip, drip sound that helps me pass the time. The door overhead creaks open, and I hear a heavy tread upon the stairs. I stop singing along with the drips, because he won't like it. He says women should be seen and not heard. He pauses. I can hear him, wheezing for breath. His breathing has gotten worse since we moved. His steps are slow. He beats his chest with his fist. Eve! <sighs> My name isn't Eve. My parents named me Madison, but he calls me Eve. He believes that he is Adam, and in that together, we'll start a new world. I don't want to be a part of his world. I want to go home, but I can't remember where home is anymore. Yes, sir. He bends over, hands on his knees. Wheezing for breath, the scent of cigarette smoke radiates from his clothes. I imagine I can see it like wavy lines of heat rising from the pavement on a hot summer afternoon. When the coffin fit subsides, he looks at me with watery eyes. Do you want to go outside, Eve? Yes, please, I say too quick, too eager. He smiles, and I hate myself for giving him that leverage, as if he needed more. I don't see how you can breathe in this damp. I don't say that I don't have a choice. That he put me here. He already knows these things. But he likes to pretend he's benevolent. Like he's some kind of saint. I try not to shudder as he runs his fingers through my hair. 
God has given me a mission, and you're going to help. I freeze. If I ask about the mission, he's more likely to slap me than answer. So I stand there, waiting to hear what I must do this time. He'll tell me. He likes too much to hear himself speak. God has told me to expand our family, to find a new girl. My heart rises like it might pound out of my chest. I hear Ruth's voice in my head. I'm sorry, Madison. A new girl? I cover my mouth with a hand. I'm not supposed to ask questions. He lets the slip pass and nods, then breaks into another coughing fit. His face turns redder than human skin should. I imagine his head is a giant red balloon expanding till it finally bursts. He takes a deep breath. It sounds like he's choking on it. You aren't a little girl anymore. You're a woman. I'll find a new girl, and you'll help me bring her here. <coughs> like you found Ruth and me? Yes, sweetheart. Exactly like that. I'm so sorry. My stomach turns. I pull my sleeping bag into the corner with the mold. The stain has spread farther down the wall, and I could reach it if I tried. I was afraid of the corner at first, because it's always dark. But now, I go there and pretend to hide. If he can't find me, he can't make me help him. A new girl. When he took me, he said it was God's plan. God had shown me to him and told him I was part of his new family. Even at eight, I knew it was crazy. But the one time I asked about the plan, or why God wanted me, he hit me so hard it knocked a tooth loose. I learned not to question him, just to agree. He knows best. And now, he wants me to do to someone else what he did to Ruth and me. To steal a life away. If I don't, he'll hurt me. I know this. But if I do, I'll hurt someone else. I stare at the mold and lose myself in the drip, drip of condensation. What do I do? I ask and wait, hoping to hear the answer in the soft dripping of the water. He visits the basement the next day. After he huffs and puffs his way down the stairs, he comes to me in my sleeping bag. I look up at the mold on the wall and silently beg for help. I want to run away, to be someone else. I want to die. The mold must hear my pleas, because it moves. I raise a hand to rub my eyes. It's impossible. But it stretches out from the wall in tendrils. Unable to look away, I watch as the mold reaches out for him, slipping into his nostrils and down his throat. He starts coughing and has to sit up and then stand. I watch as the tendrils melt back into the wall. My prayers answered. It seems like the pain Flemmy hacking will never stop. I imagine that's what it would look like if he coughed up a lung in a literal sense, because it sounds like he just might. I curl myself into a ball, trying to hide in the corner. When he regains his composure, he turns on me, his beefy hand landing a hard smack against the side of my face. 
<laughs> you're too old. <coughs> I can't. <coughs> I can't. <coughs> he never says what he can't do. He pulled his stained trousers back on and goes upstairs, walking slowly, leaning hard against the rail. I stay there for several minutes, maybe an hour, try to keep time by numbering the drips. But my body is trembling, and I, and I keep losing my count and starting over. When I'm sure he isn't coming back, I take a deep breath and stand, looking to the mold stain. It's spread to eye level now. My face presses against the damp wall, and the coolness soothes my cheek, where I can feel a bruise already forming. The mold reaches out to caress a tender spot on my face, while the condensation drips in the rhythm of a lullaby. The next day, I pretend to be asleep when the door creaks open. I hear the groaning of the wooden stairs as his weight descends, coughing. Always coughing. A faint smell of secondhand smoke wafts into my corner. I open one eye. He places a tray on the washing machine and looks over to my corner. He stares at the mold for a long moment before turning back and making his way up the stairs. Does he know? When the door shuts, I hear the lock click. I slip quietly as I can over to the tray. It's my favorite. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a glass of milk. I carry the tray back to my corner, and I sit down and look up at the wall. It's an apology for hitting me, maybe. Drip, drip, drip. Because he wants me to help him find another girl. Drip. I finish my meal, and I leave the empty tray on top of the washing machine. When I come back to my corner... I stop to watch the mold. It's formed a pattern. It looks, oddly enough, like Ruth. My fingers brush the image of her chin, and I wonder for a moment if it's a ghost. But that can't be right. The mold, it's trying to help me like before. What about her? Silence. The condensation has nothing more to say. I step closer, looking at the perfect image of Ruth's face. But that isn't all. Behind her, in the background, is him. He's moving, creeping up on her. But she doesn't see him. Behind you! Look behind you! I yell at the wall, but she doesn't hear me. She doesn't see the knife in his hand. Suddenly the room feels too hot and a wave of nausea washes over me. Everything spins. And I'm falling. My legs can no longer support my weight. When I wake up, he's sitting in a chair, reading his favorite verses from the Bible aloud. And then they were brought to him, little children, that he should put his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> I sit up and look around the room. There's a table beside him, stacked high with 
dirty paper plates, microwave dinner trays and beer cans. An ashtray lays on the floor at his feet. The musty smell of the basement, my smell, has been replaced by the scent of stale cigarettes. How long has he been there? Easy, Evie. <coughs> You're sick. He punctuates the sentence with a coughing fit. After a few hacks, the phlegm breaks loose, and he spits into his grease-stained handkerchief. <coughs> you have a fever. More coughing. His face turns red. He holds the side of his chair, bracing himself as he wheezes. I raise my hand to my forehead. My face feels hot, and though I'm sweating beneath the sleeping bag, I don't move to pull it off. Not while he's here. He brings me a cup of water, and I gulp it down. Are you hungry? I can heat you up a can of... <coughs> Coughing and hacking, he places a hand on his chest, just below his neck. <coughs> Soup! The last word escapes, like air squealing out of a balloon. Yes, sir. Thank you. I don't know if I can eat, but at least I can get him out of the room. He picks up the ashtray and takes it out with him, leaving the rest of the mess for me. His breathing as he climbs up the stairs is almost as loud as his footsteps. The door closes behind him, but it doesn't lock. Perhaps he forgot. Perhaps he thinks I'm too sick to escape. I close my eyes and concentrate. After a moment, I hear it. Drip. Drip. How long was I out? Drip. Three days. I brace myself against the wall to stand. I feel like the laundry that's been folded up and stuffed away for too long. My body is stiff, as if I'm fifty rather than fifteen. At least... I think I'm 15. The next few days pass in a haze. I toss and turn with fevered dreams of voices that trickle out and in, in and out, whispering secrets. I hear the ghosts of conversations from the long dead. What do you mean, stop? We can't stop. You're getting in the way of God's plan. You're more trouble than you're worth. He killed Ruth because she was having second thoughts. I know that now. Eventually, he'll kill me too. He brings food and water, but never stays long. Sometimes I find cigarette butts on the floor or wake to the lingering stink of smoke. I know in my heart that's the mold that keeps him away. I wake to find its tendrils around his neck while he struggles to inhale. I watch quietly. And when his coughing subsides, he takes a wheezing breath. <coughs> I got good news, Evie. God has shown me the girl, and I'm going to bring her here. Drip. 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 I thought he would need my help to take the new girl. I thought I had more time. That she had more time. Whoever she is. You're going to bring her? He nodded. 
I can't let you being sick get in the way of God's plan. He continued. Drip. Drip. Isn't that what he said to Ruth before she died? That she was getting in the way of the plan? I remember the sadness in Ruth's voice. Her blank, dead-eyed stare. And I know I can't let him take another girl. For the girl's sake. For my own. I look up at the mold on the wall. And I whisper, Please, help us. His face cracks into a sinister smile. Sharp and dangerous. But the mold knows it isn't him I'm speaking to. The tendrils reach out from the wall, sliding up his nose and into his mouth. He bends over, wheezing, trying desperately to suck in breath. Another tendril wraps around his neck, squeezing. This time, it doesn't hold back. He falls to the floor, writhing, beating his fists against his chest. He reaches out for me, gagging and choking for what seems like forever. The red balloon of his face sputtering and expanding but it doesn't explode. His eyes bulge from their sockets. His tongue lolls. Finally, he stills, frozen in his grotesque pose, still reaching for me. Drip. Drip. I grab the keys from his pocket, and I run. <laughs>